Welcome, everyone, to this special interview edition of Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Today's episode is a conversation with Cracked Rackets editor-in-chief and podcaster Alex Gruskin. He's been on a couple times now. You should know him very well. And uh, it is the holiday season, isn't it? Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah to all. And we're, we're making wish lists. We want our presents. And for us here at Monday Match Analysis, those presents are going to be tennis players getting better, doing great things in 2021, and putting t- uh, a, a great product on the table that we can all enjoy. Alex and I get into our 2021 off-season wish list. Without further ado, here's Alex Gruskin. We're joined once again by the great Cracked Rackets podcaster, the one and only Alex Gruskin, great friend of the program. We call him Grusky sometimes, and uh, I'm, I'm excited for this one. You know, off-season, we've been kind of sitting back and waiting for the next season to come, so we're going to talk about what we want to see next year. What? How many podcasts right now are you hosting? Five, six? Really depends on the day. I would say... <laughs> No less than two, no more than five. I try to limit myself. <laughs> At, you know, once I hit a fifth podcast on the day, even my computer's like, all right, Alex, that's enough. But uh, no, it is always a pleasure. I will say I knew, you know, I guess I suppose I still know, but in high school, in college, I knew a girl liked me if she went from calling me Grusky to calling me Alex. If she started mm. calling me by my first name, I'd be like, huh, something changed here. I feel like you're taking me more <laughs> seriously as a human now. Uh, but of course, it is always a pleasure to join you my friend and yeah it, it's off-season mode I, you know there are itf events which kind of ruins the title of off-season if there are still matches going but certainly you know a little bit of time to reflect and yeah i have plenty of wishes for next season so very excited for this one grusky i'm glad you're <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're here with us all right uh so let's we're gonna go through the rankings we're gonna hit on all the top 10 and then we'll get into some wild cards some uh some some folks that we just feel like talking about, but they haven't earned that. Um, that you know, the cutoff for the tournament is the top ten. It's very competitive. It's like the ATP Finals to guarantee <laughs> your spot on this podcast. Let's start with Novak Djokovic. Um, look, he won a major, best win percentage on tour, still going, still firing. Um, he is. I, I here. Here's the thing. Um, I feel like it's very, it'll be very easy to just point out where people can, can get better by just pointing out their weaknesses. Right. Uh, but we're going to try to do both. We're going to say, keep that up, but then maybe add that. Right. And for Djokovic, it's keep covering the court. Like you're 25. That's like my first and foremost (laughs) point, uh, for Novak. On the other hand, do you feel like his shot tolerance was not as strong uh, especially after his his run before the the COVID shutdown. That's such a good question. I'll start by saying Monday Match Analysis Show is the ATP Tour Finals of tennis program, so that is a very apt comparison to start things off. I think for Novak Djokovic, lost in the hoopla that has been the past nine months you know what was my wish for him it had nothing to do with this tennis it was just like i know you have an agent i know you have a manager but hire a press secretary i mean you gotta get you gotta brush up the statements you gotta brush up some of the off-court looks some of the things he is doing but on the court 
he was 41 and five this year, right? Like he won, what was it? His first 22, 23 matches of the season wins the Western and Southern open undefeated going into that, you know, round of 16 match against Carreno Busta, where obviously he gets defaulted. That being said, I mean, yes, I don't know if it was a disinterested Novak Djokovic because I don't think that's a fair summary, but I think once Novak locked in that number one ranking for the season and now it looks like he's going to break that record in 2021, certainly it wasn't the same Novak we saw, uh, honestly, of three years ago. I do even think during his undefeated uh, streak, I want to flip this back on you because the matches that pop out to me, the Gael Monfils match, right, where he faced multiple match points down, I think that was in Dubai. Even in Mm -hmm. that Australian Open final against Dominic Team, for a little bit of that match, you felt like Team might break through and actually beat Djokovic in Australia, and that was the first time Djokovic had ever felt vulnerable, at least in my opinion, in a slam final. He was really good at 41 and five, but yes, to answer your question, I do think it was a half step, maybe, you know, even three quarters of a step slower. I have a microscope on his cardio going into 2021. <laughs> I have a microscope on it. I want it because there's been, a, there's been energy dips at times recently. There's been matches even against Nadal in the French final where I feel like would the, would the Novak of old want to kind of extend these points and dig in physically a little bit more? Um, so I have, I, I'm just watching that carefully. Another thing I have for him, second serve consistency. It was so incredibly amazing in Australia. I could not believe how good his second serve was uh, in, the, in the Aussie Open. And then sometimes there were issues like uh, Western and Southern Open, and maybe it was because of the neck. Um, so I want to see how his second serve is. Then the last thing is something you basically just alluded to with the Monfils match and time and time again, what's won Novak the most matches over the course of the last three seasons ever, ever since he, he went on his walkabout in 2017 immunity to pressure. That's what he needs to keep. As long as he has that, he's going to continue to win these close matches on the biggest stages in tennis. So where I, I want to start with what I agree with you on, but then of course I have to swerve a little bit because otherwise, what do we do in here? Uh, To your point about Novak second serve, he won 53.1% of second serve points this season. And all these numbers coming from tennis abstract, the best resource in all of tennis. That number is his lowest number on tour since 2010, when he won only 52% of his second serve points. And obviously 2010 was the last year before Novak Djokovic was Novak freaking Djokovic. And look, you know, it's not like the 53% is that much lower. He was 56, 57 range, you know, somewhere between there and 60% in the 10 year stretch since 2010. But even a slight dip from Novak Djokovic makes a difference because yeah, that second serve, uh, if it hangs up, it gives opponents opportunities to attack and he's not 26, 27 years old anymore. And to expect him whose game has been so predicated on physicality to maintain that level into his mid to late thirties, that's just unrealistic of any non LeBron James athlete. And You know, maybe Novak Djokovic is in that category. Maybe the gluten-free really is the magic way to go, and he'll be this flexible and this quick with his first step until he retires. But if he loses even half a step more, does he have the weapons from the ground to hit players off the court? No, it's what's so good about him is what he can do while on the run, on the move. It's different than any player in tennis history, and if he can't move as well – 
things get interesting. Yeah. I mean, he, we've seen him volley more, right? But is he that good of a servant volleyer, that good of an attacker to, you know, offset any loss in step? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he, he needs his movement as much as anyone, right? It's it's kind of, it's it's similar in prototype as your guy, Andy Murray, right? Yeah, very, very similar. Only he's still got two hips. <laughs> Novak has been remarkably healthy really um throughout his career okay let us uh let us move on to rafael nadal the number two player in the world um this was a year i mean he he left some tennis on the table and ultimately the year was just defined by by what he did at roland garros and uh, i think that's okay Uh, this it was a successful year for nadal he went 27 and 7 here's my my wish list um, and it was hard for me to think of one for Nadal. Um, very difficult because I feel like he's become so well-rounded and he keeps improving and it's like, it's just difficult to find stuff. Consistency on serve, I think. And I know I just said that about Djokovic's second, but I mean, uh, I actually mean technically with Nadal. I'm not really talking about um, the actual effect of it. I just feel like he's been tinkering and tinkering and tinkering and when is that going to become a little bit more solid is, is one question that I have. Uh, be more daring in big moments. <laughs> Sometimes I think he's playing, you know, really good aggressive tennis on a hard court even, but then he comes up against a guy like Dominic team who's beat him twice in a row on hard courts. And he's just not really taking the offensive and taking initiative and he's sinking back into his old Rafael Nadal habits of being what used to be the most blazing fast player in the history of tennis. And uh, I think it's hurt him against Dominic team. But again, I, I, I really struggled with coming up with one uh, with Nadal. Yeah. So Rafael Nadal, 27 and seven during this 2020 season. And, you know, you are going to be joining me uh, on the Great Shot podcast next week. One of the 7 million podcasts I host for Cracker Rackets. <laughs> and we will be doing an ATP award show. And I have a special category for Nadal. And he will be, I guess, I because he's one of many nominees in this category. But we were joking about it beforehand. It's the people don't talk about this enough award. Uh, and it's a joke because nowadays, anytime someone thinks, Thinks they're making a good point they'll say well you know people don't talk about and then they'll try and make their good point and it's like no just because mm-hmm. you're making that point doesn't mean you're the only one who's made it anyways you know one of the things that the i think anytime you watch a rafael nadal match someone's gonna say it probably halfway through set two they're gonna say you know people don't talk about rafael nadal the volleyer enough how much better yeah. he's gotten moving <laughs> forward and with that first serve and his hands at the net he's a fantastic you know gold medal doubles player as well and so you know yada 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 and i do think to your point about him being daring that's the manifestation of him being daring, right? Later in his career at this point, he plays serve and volley. He opens up the court and moves forward. He knows how heavy that forehand is, how difficult a shot it is to return. And if he just takes time away from his opponent because of you know how much effort, how much footwork it takes for them to track down that ball, he, all he has to do is take the time away. And that's why he's at the net. But it is worth noting this season, Rafael Nadal, of his first serves go in. That's the lowest number of his career. And it's the fifth straight season that his first serve percentage has declined. So he went from 70.5% during the 2016 season, where of course he was a little bit banged up. 
yeah. to 68%, 65.6, 64.8, 63%. And what's so funny is with that first serve percentage going down, it's been matched with a first serve win percentage that's gone up. So what does that tell me? Uh, you know, a stare at the analytics, the eye test as well. He has gotten more aggressive with his first serve because I think very much like you identified, Gil, it's a little bit harder for him to play those physical points, especially against a Dominic team or a Daniil Medvedev, as we saw at the ATP Tour Finals. Just they want the physical grind. They're ready to make these matches track meets. And, you know, Daniil Medvedev is the best mortal impression of Novak Djokovic. He's just going to go ball after ball, absorb your spin, change direction, all of these different things. Um, so, yeah. I the wish list for me would be for people to stop say people haven't noticed and just start saying Rafael Nadal is an exceptional volleyer at this stage of his career. Yeah. Uh, but I agree with you. I think that's the trend. I actually think that's a really positive stat. Even though that first percent serve percentage has gone down, if he can keep it above sixty percent and he can start winning as he has these past two seasons, over seventy six percent of his first serve points. That's the recipe for him. That's how he's adjusted to losing half a step in a step. It's that he can play more aggressive. Yeah, 2005, Rafael Nadal had a 70% first serve percentage. He had Capri's. Yeah, <laughs> he had Capri's and a 70% first serve percentage. But Nadal doesn't want to go back to that. We don't want that. And no, if we're actually being honest, that was the worst serving version of Rafael Nadal. So that's why first serve percentage, I'm, I'm very glad that you've pointed this out and came to this conclusion because first serve percentage is not a good stat. It is so incomplete. And, and this is a good example of why I just feel like uh, Nadal hasn't gotten comfortable yet with, with a serving style. I feel like he's still looking for it, still finding it. Um, I, I do agree you with agree? you. The, I agree that he's finding it. I, I don't think he, I think he, he gets mad at himself because he knows he needs to be more aggressive. But of course, when you've, built a you know 19 careers grand slam title resume off of playing a certain style you're going to be stubborn you're going to stick to habits i try not to talk over guests or people on a, on a show with i can't do it i've built up a habit and so uh for rafa i just think Yes, I, I, I agree with you. You can see the struggle for him where he's like, I think I can still do this every point. I know I shouldn't. I would also just add one more quick wish for him, and I will do it as soon as he does it. The hairline is weakening. It's diminished. And like shaved head Rafa could be bald Michael Jordan. It just could be the next phase for him, the, the complete evolution for Rafa, and I hope we get to see it. Uh, I don't want to think about that. I know. He used to have this amazing – he had the – luscious a mane uh, uh, unbelievable <laughs> hair and and you're right it's really fading i i okay i'm gonna leave it at that i i think you said it all <laughs> or he just shaves in a ram's horn like that's just what he goes with like the rafa symbol yes that's actually i like that let's do that dominic team um breakout season you know, not, not much, you know, he, he gets the first major under his belt, Nadal and Djokovic and Federer, none of them are there, but look, he had his chance just like Federer at the 2009 French, he had his chance. He took it. And that is sometimes very, very difficult to do. And just throughout the season, uh, Dominic team just continues to improve and improve and improve. It's also the pandemic pause champion, the exhibition King. Okay. So well, let's give him that credit as well for team though. 
Um, improving the return for me is going to be, that's going to make all the difference on grass, especially where he has yet to break through. And uh, I still think that maybe, uh, I don't know if you have this cause you're full of stats right now, but I, I feel like <laughs> the, the return, the first serve percentage, um, on return, the win percentage. Sometimes I feel that Dominic team is just not winning a lot of points on his opponent's first serve. Uh, knowing when to scale back his aggression, but I say that with hesitation because I'm starting to realize that's just not who he is. And uh, I'm wondering, I might stop saying that. I might stop wishing for that for Dominic team, but still sometimes I wish that he would just rely on his tremendous athleticism, his amazing court coverage and his great fitness and just be like, look, I'm not timing the ball perfectly right now. Let me go for less and stop gifting my opponent's errors for a second here. Uh, so I'd like to see more out of that. The last wishes is uh, win some really big matches. You know, he's two and seven <laughs> in Masters 1000s and, and Grand Slam finals combined and tour finals. And it's an ugly record. That's an obvious thing to say, win big matches, right? Of course, that's on the wish list. But what I want to make clear about that is I don't think he needs to really change anything in order for that to happen. I just think it's going to happen. I don't think he's bad under pressure. I don't think he has a nerves issue. He was 17 and 11 in tie breaks this year. So my wish is for him to win big matches, but I just think it's going to happen naturally. And 2021 will, will be the year where, well, he'll start to make progress on that two and seven record. Yeah. I think <clears throat> all of those are good points. I mean, a, the reason I have all these stats, obviously I'm compensating. I know when I've met my match, I got to bring my A game. Come on. Um, but yeah, there's a reason I'm wearing a hat and you're not uh, because you've got those luscious locks, much like young Rafa and I'm the I'm, I'm three years in your future, my friend. Oh boy. Um, but, <laughs> uh, finasteride is a friend to both of us. Trust me. Um, but no, to, to your point about Dominic team, you asked for my wish it's stay the course. And you mentioned this at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, he went something, it's an unofficial number, but something like 27 and two or something crazy in matches or UTS battles, whatever during the pandemic. And so if you add the two things together, that means uh, I believe 27, 62 and 11 on the season, or excuse me, 52 and 11 on the season, uh, that 52 and 11 number win percentage wise, he's over 80%. He's at right around 83. And I've done this on our podcast before. You look at the elite seasons in tennis history. When do you know a player is making a leap? It's when they rip off that 80% win percentage season. And unfortunately, he didn't get to do it in certified ATP matches. But that's what Dominic Team did this season. He had his, I am here. I am the best player in men's tennis. Let me show you why. And obviously, with Djokovic and Nadal being as good as they are to say he's the undisputed best tennis player in the world right now on the men's side, you can't say that. But he has joined their ranks now. The way their game has slightly dropped off and the way his level has risen, I just think he has to be included in the conversation with them at this point. And then plus, he got the biggest monkey off of his back. He won that first Grand Slam title. So I agree with you. From a tennis perspective, my wish list is just stay the course, be solid. Yeah. And unfortunately, I have individual match first serve win percentages. I don't have them for the I, I got it. Yeah, for the course of the season. Give me some numbers. I, I have it. So he won 31.4% against first serve oh wait that's okay. last 52 let me switch it to 2020 okay okay like we, it. we've done that um, beautiful leave all of this in 
Yes. And he well, is just quickly. Ask you, oh, OK, go ahead. Yeah. It's it's close, but he is behind Djokovic, who's at 32.5. These margins are razor thin, but that this is, you know, when you have the sample size of how many points in an entire season, it's significant. Joke. So Schwartzman is first. Djokovic is second. Federer, uh, he doesn't count. Nadal um, is, it looks like, around the, the eight mark. Zverev is ahead of him. Dimitrov, Sinner, Medvedev. Then you have Dominic Team. So it's not bad if you look at the, the tour in its entirety, but what are we using as our standard for Dominic Team? We're using the elite of the elite in men's tennis, and he is behind, as I suspected, in that first serves against percentage. So what's interesting, you mentioned he was 11th in that category. Uh, I have it up in front of me now. He's lower than that on the second serve return category. And that really surprises me because I think one of the things that Dominic Team was so good at in big matches, particularly when Zverev was throwing him hanging curveballs in that U.S. Open final, uh, and he, you know, he was starting to cramp, so he was playing particularly aggressive, is his willingness to take the big cut on that second serve return. Yes, he's 12 feet behind the baseline, but if he strikes it cleanly, unless you're adventurous in serving and volleying and taking the space away, and shout out to the few guys who do that, uh, it that return gets him to neutral at a minimum. Uh, you know, often from there, he's controlling the point. And so I'm surprised to see him this low, on, you know, behind guys like, yeah, Karen Hatchnov. Although you look at the list of the guys above him, all names you would feel very good about as a returner. The only shocking one is Philip Krajinovich at number three. But you know, it's guys like Hatchinov or Gofan or Rublev, Dimitrov, Karina Busta, Taylor Fritz on that list above him. Shout out to you, Taylor Fritz. Uh, but I mean it's big backswings. Like it is. He, he takes big cuts at the ball, but he does everything else so well if that's his compromise to get into his patterns, if that's what he has to feel comfortable doing, I think you can tell with his coach, Nicholas Massoud, they're just kind of like, okay, like, I guess this is the reality we live with and we build around. Mm, I, I think they're working on it. I, I don't think yeah. they're accepting. I don't think they're complacent. I think they're, you know, they've experimented with the block and they're trying to shorten things up, but we'll, we'll see that, that return. Um, we agree that that's an area that can be improved, but I like your main point, your, your stay the course wish list. Something that I feel pretty strongly about is at the current trajectory of team's development, he's very much on pace to become the best player in the world very soon, right? Absolutely. And and that's no, not completely. that's not like, uh, I tweeted that and someone was like, well, duh, you, ev- that's true for every player <laughs> if they keep improving. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Most players can't be the best player in the world. Dominic Tell that team. to Milos Raonic. Milos Raonic is like, didn't I get to be number one in the world? Wasn't this <laughs> supposed to be my reign? And like, no, sorry, that's not how no. tennis works. Right. You were never, that was not going to happen. Um, okay. Daniil Medvedev is our number four player, one of two players to win a master's title in 2020, a very coveted thing uh, in this strange season because there were only three. Uh, ATP, ATP finals champ, he really salvaged his season in the last. Either it was either two weeks or three weeks, depending. Yeah, it was three weeks because there was a week break after Paris. I have an interesting one for Medvedev. Very simple. I want him to get physically stronger and improve his racket speed. And I just think that's the missing piece. Okay. You're right. At the same time, I just could not wish for you to be more wrong because everything about Daniil Medvedev, the lengthiness, the – the blocks, the slices, the, 
again, it's when he wants to hit the forehand big down the line, you're like, is your arm going to fly off with that forehand? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. It reminds you of like the Lego, right? That goes wrong when you're playing for it too much and it flies and it slings. And that's what makes him so different than the rest of these guys, how unconventional it is. Now, again, the racket speed on the forehand, I don't want to say you're wrong because from aesthetically you're, how could you, how could you say that? Like it, it's an obvious thing. And that racket speed, sometimes if you surf to that side, it forces him to hit a block return because he just can't generate enough racket speed. Can't get his, his racket around the ball quick enough to do anything with that forehand. At the same time, you go watch it in person and you're just like, Oh wait, that's fine. You're like, oh my God, the way he actually, you think it looks funky on TV, but the way he goes from set to under the ball and hitting through it, uh, you know, it's a split second. That's why he's one of the best of the best. And I think when Medvedev is playing his best indoor tennis, when he's really feeling himself, he'll go big down the line and it looks good, right? So like he, I don't think it's a pace generation problem. I think it's just, here's a guy with a million different tools at his disposal. What do you want to do to Neil Medvedev? What is going to be the thing that just wins you matches more or makes matches simple for you? Because if you're going to be the number one player in the world, you can't play these seven, six, six, two long physical grinds because over the course of 45 weeks, you're just not going to have anything left in the tank. Sure. Yeah. Uh I guess here's how I would put it in tactical terms instead of technical terms. And let's see if we can come a little bit, a little bit closer. Maybe we, it's very possible. We just see, see this differently. And of course that can happen, but um, we all know when you, when you're playing a great, great, great player or, or someone better than you, and you're on the court, one of the common kind of results of that is, Oh, if I drop a ball in the middle of the court, I'm a dead man. If I leave it short, I'm dead. Like they, they, you know, the best players in the world, they make you pay. Um, and I think Medvedev doesn't always make you pay. I think sometimes he's, uh, you get more errors when he's in the mid court trying to hit aggressive forehands, or if he doesn't want to miss, then he's not quite as aggressive. Um, and you might be able to defend. If you look at uh, the match against uh, Fushevics at the French, great example. Uh Marton moves really, really well. The court was slow and he could just defend anything that Daniil could throw at him because Medvedev just didn't hit a big enough ball. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, a look through tennis abstract numbers by where he ranks in the last 52 weeks as a server and a returner. In terms of his first serve percentage, uh, in terms of win percentage compared to the other guys, he's number five on the list on the first serve. In terms of win percentage on the second serve, I believe he's number seven. In terms of first serve returns, he's number four, uh, number 10 uh, over the past 52 weeks on tour. In terms of second serve returns, he's number four. If you aggregate all those rankings together, he will have the best results of any player on tour. And that's mm -hmm. just, for me, that's the big picture. When I look to 2021, it's in terms of a floor, I, I want to see it more on grass, but you think to yourself, okay, with that serve and with his hands and his creativity, why wouldn't he be good on grass? It's where he beat Stan Wawrinka and had his first breakthrough moment. And the low Does bounce, he, I totally agree. He doesn't move great on the clay, but he is, he's a great athlete with size and length, and you like that always. It's just like he is your modern player. 
when you look back mm-hmm. at this era, this is Daniil Medvedev encapsulates everything you want from the modern guy. And it's just, well, you know, him and Zverev, I think Zverev maybe even more so in the traditional mold, but yeah. I, I, so again, I, I agree with you. Like, yes, I think it's just, what do you want plan A to be Daniil? You, when, once you figures it out, I, I cannot wait to see what it is. I think plan A is where, where are you down? He was dominant. <laughs> yeah, in, it's true. Right. It's I so mean, true. he, God, it must be exhausting to play Daniil Medvedev. Nine and four in deciding sets. Um, so he he gets you tired, that's for sure. But I like your point, by the way. We've seen in the NBA, the tall guys can shoot now. And yeah. the term that's thrown around is unicorn. And I think yeah. the tennis equivalent is the tall guys can move now, right? Yep, absolutely. Could Nailed it. All right, I want to give you the first, the first crack, no pun intended, at Roger Federer. <laughs> <laughs> hold on let me show the logo there it is <laughs> of course like rate subscribe review share with your friends um so i think the meanest thing anyone has ever said to me on tennis twitter well it actually wasn't mean it was delightful but i think they called me a colonialist they said with my colonial oh, no, 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 no 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 a colonizer my colonizing oh. mindset how could i ever be trusted to judge something objectively and i was like Thank you. I was like, I agree. I, I would have been great in colonial times. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the reason I got that response is because, you know, it was related to Roger Federer and saying, man, looking at this landscape, how tough is it going to be for Roger Federer to come back under these circumstances? And I was actually able to listen to the beginning, but not the entirety of the podcast you did with Joel Drucker, Amy Dahl uh, on the big three. And you talked about this exact thing for uh, Roger Federer. And I think you guys nailed it. There are just so many good players right now. And for him, there's going to be no margin for him to work his way back anymore because you're not going to like be able to work your way back over the course of a two week major, because even if it's not Andre Rublev, Alex Zirev, you know, Stefano Tsitsipas, it could be John Millman. Now it could be Miomir Kasmenovic. It could be Sasha Bublik on a given day. If he's serving well, there are just so many players who can play this outstanding tennis and he's 39. Like who have we seen make or, you know, win a grand slam, win a master's event, at age 39 or older. I, I, I off the top of my head, maybe Connors, like maybe. Uh, I don't, yeah, no, I, I don't think he won one at 39. I think it was 35? Yeah. Seven? Yeah, Some, or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like and, it's just, and it's just like, so I guess for me, the question is, my wish list is manage your expectations. Don't expect Roger Federer to come out in Australia and win the title. If he does, that's one of the best sporting accomplishments. If he's (laughs) even on the court in Australia, you know, that's an all-time thing. Ditto with Wimbledon. Ditto with the Olympics. At this point, it's all gravy. Like, everything is gravy. We've gotten the meat and potatoes of Roger Federer's career. It was, you know, I'm in Indianapolis. It was the St. Elmo's of meals. That's the premier, you know, that's where you want to go. That's the steakhouse du jour. Roger Federer gave us that. If you're expecting him to be the number one player in the world, I think you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. Yeah. Am I wrong? Tell me I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. You're right. Now, I will will throw in the caveat that we have not seen a version of Roger Federer who's really going to be threatened on a a regular basis to uh, Sasha Bublik. And and that's how we'll know that there's a big, you know, that, that the decline is really upon us because, and so far, like, let's be very clear that decline has not come. And, and there was a point in time where it was Federer is, 
losing in the semifinals. He must be retiring, yeah. which is ridiculous, right? Yeah. That, you know, it's when he, it's when he's not making second weeks. That's when we'll know, right? Not as long as he's in the semifinals, he's, he's right there. Uh, so, but I agree with you. It's, it's a 39 year old coming off of a knee surgery. I mean, hello, we cannot expect that much. Um, so yeah, my wish list is, is very similar. Heal the knee, hopefully uh, move decently well, make sure that Wimbledon is played. Just use your Roger Federer powers to, yeah. to make that happen and uh, make sure that there's an Olympics this year. And I think if, you know, I think the, the cal he wants the, the calendar uh, to be, to be friendly and he wants to play those events and that in itself will be satisfying to see. Yeah. I would add to that sell hats. Obviously that's a priority in 2021. You got the RF back rocket. Uh, number two would be the swerve. Roger Federer will play until there's another Olympic games. And we are all rooting for the world to come back to normal. We are all rooting for all of these things that we missed in 2020 to come back in 2021. If you're a Roger Federer fan, you're fine with the Olympics being moved to 2022. You're like, you know what? Let's just make 2022 really special, do winter and summer Olympics back to back <laughs> and guarantee at least 18 more months of Roger Federer. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, it's a big one for Novak as well. He, he wants to win that very badly. <laughs> for sure. Um, and Andy, two-time defending champ. Yes, yes, that's, that's Andy's... Uh, oh, you know, I forgot to... This is completely off off topic. I forgot to ask you a trivia question. I meant to start the pod with this because oh, it's so good. It. Okay. You're not going to get it is the caveat <laughs> to the trivia question. Okay. What ATP, which H ATP player had the longest average match duration in 2020? No cheating. <laughs> <laughs> well, in terms of player comparisons, Someone once compared my game with women to Michael Chang and they were like, yeah, you were really good early on, but man, have you faded. Um, and I just thought that I just feel like that's a joke worth sharing for your listeners. Um, that buys me time to think who is someone who just takes long. So who played any absurd matches? Were there any like 17 or five setters? Oh, what about, I mean, it could be, what's his name? Um, uh, uh, quarantine Mute. Like, I feel like, cause he played that like seven hour at the U S open and he played, he just plays a grinded out style, but by your face, it's not going to be him. Cause you would have been like, that's correct. Uh, is it in that realm of player? Is it like, it's not a top guy. Don't I'm tell me. No. Yeah. I'm, all right. I'm, One I'm guess. I'm, I'm looking at the rankings. The answer is going to be John Milman. <laughs> No, um, <laughs> Roger Federer, no. two, hours, two hours, 29 minutes, average match length for okay. the Swiss maestro. That's amazing. The longest on tour. How crazy is that? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. Now that you say it, it's like, yeah, yeah, limited matches. The ones he played were long. They were all five sets or they were all best of three or best of five. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, um, hopefully that he does not want to re repeat that stat. He wants to, uh, that's not on our wish. It's not on his wish list to play the longest average match on tour 
in Novak losing half a step is on his wish list though. It's like, that's fine with me. <laughs> yeah, it's like, let's yeah. see what he's got. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. Let's uh, now we're outside of the, well, now we're just, I don't know. It's not really a structural thing. It's a free for all. We're outside. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're outside of the top five. If that means anything, uh, let's go to Stefano Sitsipas. We are at risk of doing a three hour pod. So let's try to get it a little bit faster. Uh, sure. Tsitsipas, very simple for me. Uh, I want him to, to stop missing under pressure. Like he's so amazing. He's so, his game is so overwhelmingly good um, on so many levels, the athleticism, the offense, the transition game, the volleys, the serve, just like calm down under pressure and, you know, don't get worse when when the going gets tough. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep the stats to a minimum here because I don't feel the need to compensate anymore. Um, the first serve win percentage has gotten better. The first serve in percentage has gotten better. He's, I like, I, I guess I agree with you, but I would phrase it exactly the opposite. Keep missing under pressure because what you're doing is working. His game style works. ATP finals champion, semifinal this year at the French Open, had Djokovic on the brink. Keep Trust yourself. Keep trusting yourself. That plan A is that good. And of course, you know, a little thing, the wish list, learn how to hit a backhand slice, of course. The second he sure, can go sure. off speed. But I, I trust the process. Yeah, but I, I, I'm not saying he should get more defensive if that's how you interpreted it. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so what did you mean? Go on then. Because I think, I, I don't sure. think you interpreted it by, like that, but I just think... Like the misses under pressure for me were a good thing because it means he trust. He's like, if I execute my game, I can win. And he just came just short on a couple occasions of executing that final point. Yeah, to, to me, it's more like uh, I find I find that big points are you know unforced errors. Just and it sometimes sometimes it's not even him being more aggressive. It's just him being more nervous or more anxious. So you can look at the the first two sets against Novak and circle the big points at the French and say, okay, here's a 30-all point where he got a forehand in the midcourt and clearly, visibly, he just jumped out of his shoes and missed it horribly because it's mental. So, you know, I'm saying, I'm saying that Tsitsipas is a lot better at two-all serving at 15 love than he is at five all um, up a break point. That's what I want to see get better for him. I really think, I think the game when it's right, I think it's so good. I think he's, he's at such a high level. He just needs to bring it at the right time. It's the opposite. It's the Djokovic opposite, the very Djokovic opposite. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So uh, we completely agree then because for me, it's, Hey, those misses in 2020, They were good misses. You just missed it. Like it was the right forehand. It was just a shank or you're right. Sometimes he does get a little bit excited, rein that one in, but stay the course much like Dominic team. There's nothing that happened in 2020 other than the George loss, which he followed up so well at the French that has me anything but positive about Pass. And off the court uh, continue to be the cutting edge of self-marketing and marketing and stay weird. (laughs) No, you're really self-marketing. That's that's a perfect way to put it. (laughs) That's another wish list. Keep doing it. (laughs) Just just be you, man. 
yeah. tweet stuff that nobody knows what it means, but we we uh, we're with you. We feel you. All right, uh, Alexander Zverev, first major final, Australian Open semifinal. This was uh, it was it was under the radar because it was such a weird Grand Slam calendar, but he did kind of shed the whole Grand Slam mental block uh, or physical block, depending on how you looked at it. Uh, that label Zverev was able to shed. So in that respect, that's kind of what, um, you know, what he needed to do. And, and it was kind of a, a very successful year that way. So um, I thought it was a good year. My, my number one um, wish list for Zverev is to have better relationships with, you know, off the court. Everyone. And, yeah. yeah. And this, this goes, you know, multiple levels. He just settled with his agent in court uh, he's had messy breakups with a lot of his coaches, you know, get along with Ferrer, make that a good relationship, make that work. And that, that'll be all the difference for Zverev. When every ship goes toxic, it's not the really, it's not them. It, it's every relationship in your life goes toxic. It, it's probably not, you're getting involved with all of these different individual toxic people. Or if you are, that's also, you know, indicting on you and who you are as a person. And yeah, my wish list for him would just be speak the truth. Like, tell us the truth. You want people to forgive and accept everything that happened. Tell us what happened. Be candid. Don't hide behind other entities. Don't hide behind the ATP press wall of people not pressing. You speak about it. If you truly want to be exonerated, then this is not how someone who's innocent acts. It's just not. And yes, I think that's the biggest thing for him is settling life off the court. That is the biggest yep. wish list. Now, this is something we're going to talk about in the Great Shot podcast, so we can save the extended thoughts for there because I want to ask you about it uh, then as well. So I was I did a show with Sasha Bajin, humble brag. I, Sasha, humble brag. There was a lot of shoulders in the show, not much else. But uh, in terms of, you know, we were talking about the most improved player on the ATP Tour in 2020. Zverev doesn't win the award, but he deserves an honorable mention because when you look at purely the results, whether it was the home stretch down the end winning back-to-back -back in Cologne, whether it was the fact there was semifinals of the Australian Open, finals of the U.S. Open, as you mentioned, it was unequivocally a step forward for him. And it was a much needed step forward because he's kind of pitter-pattered in that top 10, top five range. But the hardest jump for any player to make is from top 10, top five to potential to be number one in the world. And he wasn't there, but it was 30 all in that service game, right? He was two points away from winning the U.S. Open. And you know the moment Alex Virov gets Grand Slam number one under his belt, the serving issues will become that much less because the self-confidence will become that much more. It... it all of that's clouded by the off the court stuff, but that would be my my yeah. wish list on the court was, or I guess was met in 2020, and I guess it would just be again another guy stayed the course because it was a step forward. If the relationships are right off the court, there's no reason he can't have even more success moving forward. And I think the reason for that was the forehand. I just think it yeah. took such a it took such a leap, you know, and the first serve. Yeah, but the first serve, I think we had seen that before. Uh, but the, the forehand at this level of consistency um, was was really a huge difference in his game. On the second serve, I, I do I, I think he needs to make a technical change. Enough enough is enough when it comes to oh it's mental, it's confidence. It's like okay, like it's time to do something different here uh, technically. 
<laughs> you, you, the, the reason I have a smile on my face is because <laughs> I, I've spent so long being a defender, right? And it's like nowadays every instinct is still, come on, Alex, you're going to let him slander Alex Zero, the tennis player like that. I try to minute. Yes, yes, yes. Like I, I watch him with a tennis racket. I'm telling you five minutes in every match he plays. You're like, this is the best tennis player I've ever seen. I still feel that way in everything he does with the racket. The volleys got significantly better this year. I thought that was another huge jump. I mean, it's it, it, I forget the flavor is like it's I don't remember what TV show it was but it's like you're like a poopy flavored lollipop and that's what that second serve is it's a poopy flavored lollipop you're like this is disgusting I don't want anything to do with this I, I, I like that's not technical that's just everything like it, it has to be mental to me because the only reason any tennis player who's a professional player, who's top 10 in the world, would ever produce anything like that in public is because they have some sort of mental block. Okay, even if it's mental, change the technical because the mental is, isn't sure. isn't getting fixed, right? Like it's Very true. been so long. Very true. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Let's go to Andre Rublev, the tour leader in titles with five, tied with Djokovic for most wins. Um my, I was very proud. Um, I predicted him to finish the season number eight, and I think he started at 21 and 22. And I, I finally got one right in my preseason <laughs> top 10 prediction. So I will uh, gloat about it. Uh, for me, uh, transition game. Give me that approach shot volley because against the best defenders on tour, you need that extra level of offense. Now, the first serve was that that unbelievable kind of improvement that we saw in 2020, which I think you've, you've pointed out uh, when we've talked about Rublev. Uh, So that got so good. Now you have the serve, you have the plus one forehand, give me that next step and be able to finish points at the net. You know, I don't think people talk enough about the jump Andre Rublev made this season, Gil. I I don't think Uh, the media, the media isn't covering this. Yeah. I don't think the media talks about it enough. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I, I, yes, I, everything you said, I agree with unequivocally a step forward. The serve has improved. The forehand is Del Potro-esque, but it feels like it has more spin on it, which is just a, a crazy thought. The way he moves though. That to me is the most uh, amazing development in Andre Rublev's physical profiles, because two years ago, even when he made that quarterfinal and yeah, it was 17 or 18 at the U S open it was on the backbone of serving really well and just hitting blistering ground strokes. He's now, he's not elite, but he's a very good mover. And I never saw that coming from him. So yeah, for me, it's like, I think even for him, so his steps just moving forward, sometimes he overruns approach shots. Sometimes he underruns volleys. He's always just like half a step off of where he should be to cover that first volley. And then that first volley hangs and you can't give any pro tennis player two looks at, a, at passing shots because they'll make the second one. Uh, so yes, my wish list is exactly the same as yours for you. Or just continue to round out that skill because you, you create time and space for yourself. Now move forward, take that time, take that space away and things become that much easier for you yeah keep the grunt is on my wish keep list very much do not very do it's not, not a grunt that. it's a it's a primal like roar. <laughs> it's just like he's like i can't help it yeah um it's it's gold 
Uh, and then also, lastly, I, I'd say continuing to care deeply about every single point, which Absolutely. Nadal, the media doesn't talk about how Nadal cares about every point. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think Rublev should get credit for having a, a similar makeup. Yeah, no, you know, I don't think the media talks about how great of a GOAT debate there could be in men's tennis. <laughs> I mean, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, they're all really good, and we don't talk about it enough. Yeah, nobody ever talks um, about that. Yeah, I the crazy swerve is like you 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 bank the three Russians, Medvedev, Rublev, Hatchnov. 2018, if I would have asked you who's the best, Hatchnov, no question. 2019, I ask you, Medvedev, no question. 2020, given the end of the year he had, you probably stick with Medvedev. But man, Rublev on clay was a revelation. It really was for me, and that to me, I. I just think he's such a good competitor that he's never going to be bad at Wimbledon because he's never going to be bad anywhere. Um, but yeah, I, I loved what I saw from Andre Rublev. People don't talk about how good he was in 2020. <laughs> this next one is like the one that I probably actually, these next two, I had a lot of trouble with um, Diego Schwartzman. I, I don't know, man. He was playing the best baseline tennis, arguably in the world for a lot of the clay court season. Uh, if you look at Rome and if you look at Roland Garros and then he qualifies for the ATP finals with a good run in Paris, uh, man, what a year. And just talk about, we probably, uh, one thing that's unfortunate is the, the shorter players always get labeled as talent maximizers. And then the taller players never get that title, which is wrong, but uh, there's, it's like serve bigger. I, I don't know. <laughs> what my wish list is it's like yeah i think for him and berrettini and honestly gael monfils the next three guys in the rankings 9 10 and 11 i would have the same wish for all three of them and it's health because mm -hmm. for matteo berrettini we know what he does well when he's healthy and can execute well he had success in 2019 across all three surfaces for gael monfils his start to 2020 and honestly 2019 were both so impressive but he faded down the home stretch due to injury hopefully that's not the case and then for diego schwartzman this is the question i keep asking everyone did, was Diego Schwartzman a discernibly different player in 2020 than he was in 2019, or were the results just different? I tend to lean towards the latter, and that's why I continue to just say health, because clearly things are starting to open up a little bit, and he's a guy who's always in the mix. Yeah, that, that's a good question. Uh, I thought his, his forehand was particularly consistent uh, this mm -hmm. year, and I think that that backhand has always been a machine and underrated and it's so good but i think the forehand was sometimes a shot where it's like hmm you're not really you, it's not it's not on the same level as your backhand it's not quite there and i feel like he evened things out a little bit this year yeah that i that's a very that's a good way of putting it everything was just a little bit more well-rounded about his yeah. game right um, Berrettini was another tough one. As I said, it's like, don't think too hard. I, I don't have much for him. He needs to stay the course and, uh, hope that there's a grass season. Cause he's excellent on grass and put a ring on it immediately. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't follow him on Instagram. I'm sure I would know what you were talking about, but oh, he's dating Alia Tomjanovic, right? I believe so. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty totally sure. Right. Yeah. You are totally yeah. right. Yes. Mary immediately. Yes. I'm all about all tennis couples. That's okay. one of my fortes. Okay. Wish list, Mary. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Gail Monfils, uh, don't let the train derail. Um, again, injury, as as you mentioned, and then he's just been playing so well post-Australia in both uh, 2019 and 2020. Unfortunate things have happened. Uh, and also stay on Twitch. Yes, I was going to say bridge player. Generations Next Gen and Generation Federer, you know who where they come together is on Gael Monfils' Twitch show. So yeah. stay the course. All right, let's stop going up the rankings and let's hit on some some special wild card additions, okay? I love it. Um, we have to hit Yannick Sinner real quick. He is top ten in Elo rankings. This is the this uh, podcast is brought to you by Tennis Abstract. No, just kidding. <laughs> I, I it's not. <laughs> we just use it as a resource. Yeah, um, Jeff just filed suit. Just so yeah, you know. exactly. Not that you know. I mean. No, we love Jeff Sackman. We we literally exactly. have been referencing it this entire yes. right, right, yeah. Um, yeah. What do you have for Yannick Sinner? Turn twenty, like Perfect. I don't know, turn twenty one because yeah, everything was better. Okay. It was just like that's why he's gonna win most improved when the ATP awards come out, and it's it's gonna be him or Rublev probably, and we'll talk about this again on the Great Shot Pod. But, like, it's a crime if Sinner wins the award. Because, yes, he should be acknowledged for something, and we have a make-believe category for him. But he the only thing that got better about him was he was another year older. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. And I'll just add on to that as and basically say the same thing, which is um, develop physically. Like, yeah, it's going to happen naturally. And just keep putting in the work in the gym, as I'm sure he that, will. He just... That, he, He's got to get a little stronger. No, that's exactly what I meant. Play more matches, stay in the gym, don't do drugs, except for pot, <laughs> do your thing. <laughs> uh, Nick Kyrgios, uh, for me, it's like, it's kind of, you know, I thought this was a good year, you know? Stay happy. Stay happy. I'm trying to make it happen. I asked him when he came on the show, hire James Blake as your coach. That's a pairing that would just be delightful. It would just, it would be so incredible. Just get someone in your box who believes in you. And, you know, that, the reason I say that we had him on the Cracked Interviews podcast and that was, yeah. he was like, that would be the guy for me that would be the most fun to coach. doesn't have to be James Blake, but there are so many people out there, Nick, who believe, or I don't know why I addressed it to him. Obviously he watches the show, but there are so <laughs> many people out there who believe in Nick. And it's just like, Surround yourself with those people who believe in you, not just the individual off the court, and you've shown how great you are off the court with your foundation, but believe in you on the court because we're all out there. That's a great wish. I, I really like that. Uh, get yourself- In the Hanukkah spirit. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, okay, the Americans. Let's just say- Perfect. Taylor Fritz, Riley Opelka, um, you know, Brandon Nakashima, I, I don't know, whatever, whatever you want to grab onto for me. Um, my, my big one is Opelka though. And we both agree that he moves a lot better than John Isner. The serve is kind of on the same track as John Isner and it'll get to that level. What I want in Opelka is I want the 2018 John Isner forehand out of Riley Opelka. I don't know if we agree on this one, but I do think that Opelka's forehand is still a little bit spinny, and I I think it can get bigger. I really think there's some potential in that that he that's untapped. We completely agree, and I think that's the side 
uh, opponents know to serve to. And I think that's for a lot of these Americans. For Francis Tiafo, every day it's improve that forehand racket speed. That's the wish list. And he, by the way, made a big jump. I won't run you through the stats. I did it on a mini break a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so if you listeners are interested, but trust me, he made a jump. The numbers prove it. Um, and for Opelka, hear. it's the same deal because that forehand backswing does get a little bit big. Um, and I agree with you. I think the back, Riley Opelka's backhand is just good. Not good for a seven footer. It's just good. And yeah, the, the, you know, the serve, all of the above continues to advance. And what I like about him is he takes his chance on the returns. He's just like, I have to play rip. I have to play big. Um, yeah, I, you know, I would say mimic Federer's forehand, probably instead of John Isner's, you know, I'm, I'm not a heightist like you, I guess. Um, but I, yes, that I, flatten out is a great way of putting it. Flatten out that forehand a little bit because he can flatten it out. And when he does, it's scary. Yeah. Um, all right. How about, is, is there anyone, first of all, is there anyone that, that you definitely want to hit on? Do you want to do 10 minutes on Kozlov? I would. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, for all of the young players, and I think uh, I'm going to lump them all together, Alcaraz, Musetti, uh, okay. Nakashima, Svaida. I, honestly, you could throw in so many. The Yimmers are like 21 and 23, and you know, Bublik's like 23. For all of these guys, just stay the course because there are so many different young, talented players right now on this ge- in this generation. For me... If there was one more guy I would want to talk about who I'm looking towards for next season as what do they, you know, what do they really have left in the tank? And it's another wish list of get them healthy. That would be Kei Shikori because this would have been the window for him. 30, 31, you know, a step slower for Nadal, step slower for Djokovic, Federer on and off with injuries. I mean, how amazing would it be if Kei Nishikori and Naomi Osaka swept the tennis Olympics in Japan and what that would do for tennis in Asia and just on the continent. And obviously we've seen huge investments from China into the WGA. And if you want to talk about the ethics of that, we'll do it on another show, but it's just, it, I, I, I continue to believe in Kei Nishikori's game. There's too much explosion. He's so phenomenal. I really hope injuries don't rob us of a late career uh, resurgence. And I really hope he's healthy come Olympic time because I am rooting for the Japanese sweep. Yeah, that would be cool. I'm with yeah. you on uh, that. There's a certain class of players that will be interesting to watch. Gafan, Nishikori. Um, Dimitrov. Yes, Certainly, certainly. It's been good. Uh, Who was good? I thought that Umbear match and Demon Hour match, or maybe it wasn't Umbear, maybe it was Demon Hour match that he lost. That was one of my favorite matches of the season in Antwerp. COVID, by the way, that that's one guy that, yeah, COVID derailed his season real bad, um, Mm -hmm. which uh, I don't, thankfully, I don't think there's too many players that we can say that about, but uh, Dimitrov had a, had a rough go of things. Uh, Del Potro, you you reminded me of Del Potro and uh, we hope that he comes back healthy. That is, the number one wish of, of everyone always is that Juan Martin Del Potro can just play tennis and enjoy. I have one more question for you in terms of a wish list. Okay. Your ideal guest on Monday match analysis in 2021, if you could get one person in, I mean, if you want to say Roger, Rafa, Novak, Serena, like blah, 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 duh. But give me one other person, a dream guest who you've been chasing for 2021. I can't promise you that I've been chasing them, 
um, because your cousin-in-law, Steve Weissman. There, <laughs> <laughs> I would. He he does need to come on. You know, we I were know. scheduled to come on, and then things got in the way, and then we never. Good point. Um, <laughs> that's tough. Um, I know there's so many, right? Uh, it is. It is. There, there are. I mean, um, probably n- maybe Nico Masu. I would like very I would love to talk very. to him. Mm-hmm. I think that what he's done is very, very. Um, it's just very important, and he has plays a very interesting role in a very unique, um, situated player in Dominic team. Uniquely, yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good one for me because I only ask questions that I ultimately want to answer as we both That's know. the number one uh, rule of asking a question. Duh. Um, <laughs> it's probably Courier. I just feel like Courier is that perfect nexus oh, yeah. of he'll talk about the young guys. He still watches. He's very analytical, but he's also got dirt. He's also a redhead, so there's a chip on his shoulder. Um, that's my – that's just my dream guest. I mean, that yeah. I think he would be really good as well. Also, for the record, if I ever got Pete Sampras, which I'm not saying I'm making any inroads on, maybe I can speak it into existence like I have so many other things. I know um, where this but, is going. No, you're coming on. Like, it'll be the three of us. And, <laughs> and we'll just all, like, stare for a minute. And we'll all just kind of be like, okay, who's number one? And yeah. it'll be a little show down there. And then we'll probably both have to give rain to Pete. Probably. Most likely, yeah. or he can just threaten to serve at us or something. <laughs> Butts um, up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Nobody wants that. Players, by the way, because it was a good question. I'm going to keep going. Uh, probably Tsitsipas yeah. and, and Kyrgios are probably the two players who I would who I would talk to outside of the, the obvious ones. Yeah. Kyrgios is a great one because you think he'd be candid. <sighs> oh, that's a really good – I mean – some of them are i'm trying to think who's like a osaka also i'd love to talk for sure i you know people don't talk enough about andre rublev but i just want to hear i want to sit with them what my dream crack racket segment is that we sit with these players in the film room and i can just say i show them the point and i say you tell me what you were doing here and it's just like I want to be like, so Andre, were you going for 160 mile per hour for him? Was 170? Like, what was the thought process here that was like Mach 10 down the line? And I think he would just give some interest or Medvedev. Medvedev would be the best example because it's like, oh, yeah. Why did you hit the drop shot lob on this shot? And he's like, well, it was the only one open. And you're like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've seen that done once. It was with Coco and uh, Chris Fowler, <laughs> but that's a good idea. It's definitely um, trademark Monday match analysis. Actually, that's a perfect Monday match analysis segment. Let's be honest. <laughs> you know, I will invite you. So if you get Pete, I'll come on. <laughs> and then if I do that, uh, you, you'll be on there. All right. Well, I'm not saying Sounds Steve good. likes me more than you, but Steve's been on like all three of our podcasts. So, you know, no pressure on Steve Weissman. Um, Again, Steve but, agreed to come on and I forget <laughs> what happened, but something <laughs> happened. And so, We'll yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there's there. There's a new sheriff in town. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, I just yes, of course. But yeah, no. I mean, again, this was very fun. So I have many wishes yes. for uh, for 2021. Hopefully, again, more than anything, too. Hopefully, this season goes on a schedule. Yes. Um, it is. It is the season. Uh, happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Wishes, presents, gifts, wonderful thing. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on, Grusky. 
Always a pleasure, my friend. I was hoping you'd call me Alex by the end of this. I guess we're not quite there yet. Not there yet. But always pleasure. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I will see you on the podcast for us, I think, pretty soon.